Today on Points for Trying, we are looking at your comments and suggestions. Spoiler alert, all of you get points! Yay! Hey everyone, welcome back to Points for Tryin'. I'm Brandon. And I'm Jessica. And together, we celebrate ideas and inventions that weren't successful, but are still worth remembering. Today we're having a little fireside chat looking at some listener mail. That's comments, corrections, and suggestions. And again, thank you to everybody that wrote in so far, and if you'd like to write in... You can either comment on wherever you're listening to this right now or send us an email at pointsfortryinchannel at gmail.com. We're official. We have an email. (laughs) (laughs) We have a Gmail. I thought it'd be fun to look at some inventions that were uh, submitted by some listeners and ones that are fun but really aren't worth devoting an entire episode to, so we're calling this Partial Credit. And the first one I really like, and it can really be summed up well by its name, the 50 caliber mousetrap. I wonder what it could be. It's probably exactly what you're picturing. It was patented in 1882, and it is literally a handgun pointed at a mouse. (laughs) It's literally uh, a little board supporting a handgun, 50 caliber, I'm guessing with a little paddle that the mouse would step on and push the trigger in. So, number one, that's terrifying. (laughs) What if you accidentally walk in front of it? Number one rule of gun safety, treat every weapon as though it's loaded. (laughs) And in this case, it is, actually. Also, do you remember the game Mousetrap from when we were kids? Yes. I think it would be just as effective as... Shooting a mouse with a gun. <laughs> Just Jessica's thoughts on this. Yeah, I feel like I need to nitpick right now because it's not so much a mouse trap as it is a mouse obliterator. <laughs> mouse execution. <laughs> if this thing goes off, you're no longer going to have a mouse anywhere near you. This is almost the definition of, of overkill. Literally. <laughs> But uh, this, this does have a U.S. patent, so th- there you go. If you can build a better mousetrap, call this guy. Well, they did build a better mousetrap, according to this popular mechanics article that you have here. Twelve years later, the mousetrap as we know it was designed by a William C. Hooker. So he saw this patent for the 50 caliber mousetrap and said, I think I can make it a little safer, guys. Let's just risk pinching your fingers (laughs) also i'm not gonna tell that first guy because he's very careless with guns (laughs) oh goodness i just have one final thought and to me this seems like it was purposefully designed to get around gun control laws like this is one of those well you can't buy a revolver in this state, but you can sell mouse traps, and then you're like intended to just pull the gun off of the, the mount and use it as a gun. I, I don't think that's its actual purpose, because it was made in the 1800s, but that looks like what it is. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think anyone was having gun control law debates in 1882. Maybe they were. I wasn't there. 
It looks so hastily made that it could be just one of those like, well, I'm not allowed to sell guns anymore, but this isn't a gun. <laughs> I can't figure out based on this drawing how the mouse is supposed to activate the hammer falling down. I'm sure it's probably like kicked a stick out of the way and then the hammer fell or pulled a string and the hammer fell or tried to run away with a piece of cheese and the hammer fell. But I don't know. Based on this, I can't see how that happens. Well, I'm going to guess that we've both put more thought into this than the inventor did, but it looks like, yeah, there's some sort of lever that the mouse pushes or lifts up when he's going for the cheese. When he's done with this world. It does say it was for animals which burrow in the ground and can be destroyed. Let me tell you, if you have ever had moles or voles in your backyard, I kind of wish I had had this in my last house. <laughs> those things will destroy your yard uh we can't overlook one of the features it also sounds an alarm when it quote unquote catches a mouse is the alarm a gunshot yes it is <laughs> <laughs> so thank you to john for submitting the 50 caliber mouse trap and i'm assuming there are no mice within a three block radius of your house <laughs> mike submitted an invention called the Davy Crockett Man Portable Nuclear Weapon. And this is also pretty aptly named. It is just a bazooka that shoots a tiny nuke. One of the smallest nukes ever made. That's right, with a yield of 20 tons of TNT. And for some context, nuclear bombs are usually measured in kilotons or megatons. So th this is a pretty small nuclear weapon, which... It's kind of what it's going for because it's small enough to be carried around. And small enough to steal. <laughs> yeah, this was made in the 60s. I'm guessing before real talks about nuclear proliferation. But just imagine a world where you can literally fit a nuclear bomb in your backpack. I gotta say, it, it looks like a normal bazooka that goes on a tripod, has a little thing at the end that shoots off. But the nuke at the end looks like a Bugs Bunny cartoons version of a bomb. It's like a little football shape, and it's got the four fins on the back. I think it's adorable. It actually looks like a... I'm, I'm picturing a 1960s cartoon punching bag. Oh, yeah, yeah, like one of those speed bags. <laughs> yes, a speed bag. Yeah, don't punch these. Good lord, don't punch these. So according to Wikipedia, 2,100 of these were actually made. Good lord. Tested between 1962 and 1968, and was actually deployed with U.S. Army forces from 61 to 71. So, again, this is one of our other inventions where it's not that it didn't work, it just didn't take off. <laughs> it did! <laughs> I would say, almost in this case, at least in my opinion, it's not that it didn't work, it's that it shouldn't exist. Uh, I don't think we need tiny nukes. Just all over the place. I don't know. I think it would solve my vole problem in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we already have the handgun for that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if a 50 caliber gun is for mice, uh, voles and hedgehogs and, and possums, you might need uh, a tactical nuke for that. So, yeah. <laughs> Groundhogs, we might have to get a bigger nuke. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for, for groundhogs, we're going to have to use an H-bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Aw, I like the groundhog in my backyard. 
He doesn't eat up my ground as much as the voles did, so we have a relationship where he stays away. <laughs> it's, it's mutually assured destruction. He knows that you could nuke him, <laughs> and you know that he could eat your entire yard. Changing things up, there's one that I wanted to talk about called the electric tablecloth. I don't have a whole lot of information about it, but a couple in England found one and donated it to a nearby museum. And it's a tablecloth that like plugs in like an electric blanket and it's got wires embedded into it. And it comes with these lamps that have spikes on them. And then if you want to add lighting to your table, you just jam the spikes into the tablecloth and you can put them and rearrange them wherever you want. As someone who likes to host us parties, this is amazing. Right? Isn't this a legitimately awesome idea? Also, that would be heckin' hard to keep clean. <laughs> uh, yes, in the article that described it, it was described as lethal if liquid were spilled on it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love, you know, in the 60s, everything was space. Yeah. But in the turn of the century, everything was electricity. Right? It's got this very vintage design to it. I love it. I think this could take off if you replaced it with those charging mats for phones and all of the lights were those like wireless things. So there's no more like stabbing the lamp into the felt and it could be waterproof. Yeah, you could have a waterproof cover over top and then you could have another thin tablecloth that would actually be washable. So when someone inevitably spills juice on it, they can wash it and not, not have it stained. And then if we had that uh, wireless charging thing, all the dinner guests could charge their phones right on the tablecloth. Which could be very beneficial. Yeah. So uh, shout out to whatever anonymous Edwardian inventor made this. And if there's any electrical engineers listening that want to run with that whole uh, tablecloth charging idea, go for it. We're not going to patent that one. Not this time. Uh, let's look back on some of our older episodes. Do you remember episode two when we talked about uh, the propeller cars and trains? Do I ever? I love that one. I still remember and I still want to ride an airboat on the ice, but... What if I told you that somebody actually made a snowmobile that was air-powered? I would say story checks out. And if you had to guess what country it was invented in? I mean, I'd cheat it because I saw, but <laughs> I would absolutely guess Russia because that sounds like the most Russian thing to do. Right? <laughs> so the Tupolev A3 Aero Sledge is technically also a boat, but... It's powered by a propeller on the back, and it's made to travel over the water and over the ice, and it is pretty much a air-powered snowmobile, and it looks so goddamn cool. Am I seeing this picture correctly, that the doors open up like a Tesla door opens up? Yeah, it's got gullwing doors like a Tesla or like a DeLorean, which just makes it that much cooler. It's this fully enclosed stainless steel boat. It's got one of those big airboat style propellers. It's about the size of an airboat. You know, it can fit like one or two people in it. And man, I bet this could just tear up a frozen lake. Okay. 
everybody who's out there playing the is it spaced game drink because <laughs> this thing is so space and also it started in you guessed it the 60s <laughs> everything is space everything is space development began in 61 production began in 64 and production continued until the early 1980s thank you wikipedia more importantly, let's let's just talk for a second. Thank you to all of the people who do the research to put it into Wikipedia and cite their sources. So if you want it to go to the primary source, you can. A plus. Points for all of them. <laughs> Points for all librarians out there. Thank you so much. Thank you, librarians. Uh, so this is classified as an arrow sled. I don't know how many arrow sleds exist. But that is my new favorite type of vehicle. <laughs> In episode four, we covered animal spies. And my illustrious co-host, Brandon, pointed out later that we went through the entire episode about animals being used as spies, but we never once made a joke about stool pigeons. I am very, very sorry about that. I will strive to do better next time. <laughs> How did we both miss that? I don't know. I was thinking about bat bombs and I, I didn't. <laughs> so when we talked about human launchers, we got one of my favorite comments, specifically talking about the uh, centrifugally assisted birthing apparatus, bringing up an overlooked detail in this invention, the uh, presence of an umbilical cord. And I quote from Janelle, no matter how you fling the child out, it's bound to become a squishy kite. <laughs> Uh, and, I, and I'm also taking the opportunity right now to announce that Squishy Kite is the name of my new ska band. That is really great, Janelle. Um, having never birthed a human, I totally overlooked the fact that there is an umbilical cord. And now that invention is even more terrifying. Although we did point out that the inventors of that also had never had children. So maybe they forgot about umbilical cords. Janelle, thank you for pointing out that design flaw, and thank you for making sure I'll never sleep again. We got a lot of comments about the flying tank, and I think I can see why. Uh, a lot of people did point out that there are what you could call quote-unquote flying tanks. There are heavily armored aircraft, but to me a flying tank is something that you can drive around on the ground and use as a tank, but it can also fly. So a lot of these are, you know, airplanes or helicopters that have a ton of guns on them. And like, yeah, it kind of fits it, but it just doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. How about you? I think the thing to remember about this was that flying is a misnomer. It was meant to glide down to earth and then have the wings removed so that it could be used as a tank. So I think it would be more akin to the parachutes that we looked at where they were parachuting Humvees in, the intent is to get it down onto the ground and then use it as the wheeled or tracked vehicle that it is. So yes, there are definitely very heavily armored aircraft, but I don't think it quite meets the intent of getting your tank plus your crew behind enemy lines in a glide pattern. I just don't think it does it for me. Maybe sometime we could talk about inventions that were quite successful and we can talk about heavily armored aircraft where they overcome one of those challenges. Uh, would that just be points for doing? <laughs> That's our next podcast. Yeah. 
I think in that episode, you mentioned that making a submarine fly would probably be easier than making an airplane go underwater. Yes, because you've already got the, the water tightness rather than trying to take a not watertight airplane and making it able to stand up to the pressure of being underwater. So uh, Michael wrote in with a really good point to ponder. There's more airplanes in the ocean than submarines in the sky. You're not wrong. <laughs> You're very not wrong. He, no, it's he's 100% right on that. But if they're on the ocean, they're still functional. And if they're in the ocean, then it proves my point about it not being waterproof. Yeah. <laughs> on our most recent episode, we talked about water-powered inventions. And there was one that we should have mentioned, water-powered fire alarms or the water gong. So I will let Brandon explain how a water gong works. Right. So this one is actually still in use. And you might be able to find these if you uh, walk around the outside of a building. But essentially, it's connected to the sprinkler system of a building. And if the sprinkler system activates, water is flowing through that pipe. And the kind of motor that we talked about in the episode that spins if water is going through it is powering a bell, which is the fire alarm. And actually, just yesterday, uh, I was walking around and I saw one on a building. That is pretty neat. I always picture elementary schools, like the outside of an elementary school, when I see those types of alarms. Oh, yeah, yeah. So these are actually being phased out because modern fire alarm systems can directly dial to the fire department. And this kind of has a, a pretty specific weakness. Do you think you might be able to figure out what it is? Uh, it doesn't dial the fire department. Yeah, you have to be standing next to it to, to hear it. Uh, so there have been cases where uh, a warehouse caught fire on a weekend when nobody was there. Burns down? Yep. Well, the alarm went off. The alarm worked like gangbusters. Uh, but if nobody's there, it's not really going to do any good. So it basically rang and rang and rang until the building burned down. If alarm goes off in a woods and nobody's there to hear it, did it make a sound? <laughs> This wasn't a correction to any of the episodes, but we did have one person write in, my father, who said that his favorite part are our fake commercials, of which we don't have any this week. So sorry, Dad. Tune in for the next episode. And that's because today's episode is brought to you by all of our amazing listeners. If you like what we do, subscribe. Smash that subscribe button. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to both of us. And we're so glad that we can share all of these weird, wacky inventions with you all. Which brings us to a question I have. Jessica, what was your favorite invention from season one? Bat bombs. The bat bombs? <laughs> I love bats. And I just thought it was a really unique way. I mean, okay, it was very sad. They died. I understand. But creative... I gotta say, that was my favorite. You know, maybe it's time to further that research and find a peacetime use for bats. They eat mosquitoes. We already have a peacetime use for them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. You're, you're right. <laughs> well, uh, bats have our points for trying seal of approval. Thank you for eating mosquitoes. Thank you, bats. All right, Brandon, what about you? What's your favorite? 
Mine still has to be Acoustic Kitty, when the CIA stuffed some microphones and radio equipment into a cat. I think it's the best example of something that we see a lot, which is the big, important government project that fails because everyone overlooked a small but important detail. Cats are jerks. <laughs> exactly. I can just imagine that boardroom when they're going around going like, yep, we've, we've got the radio equipment done. Like, yep, we found the perfect surgeon that can do this. We've got a, a test site ready to go. And nobody raised their hand and just said, hey, you guys know cats don't follow commands, right? You're not going to be able to tell them what to do. <laughs> Maybe it would have worked better with dogs, but everyone would have been petting the dog and then you'd have mic interference. So. Oh, true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know if we have a, a peacetime use for cats other than destroying my furniture. So we're still working on that. Furniture, clothing, legs, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, so thank you to all of the cats. Thanks, cats. And thank you to everyone who wrote in. Thank you to all of you who've been listening to us over the past season. And we look forward to coming back for season two. Thank you all. And don't forget, if at first you don't succeed, tell us about it.